If I could wait until I was in my 90s to give birth, I would. Because I figure I might be ready by then. Ready to both deliver a baby and take care of one. Because I'm definitely not ready now. And I already have a three-year-old. So my biological age dictates reality on this front. Also, by the way I can pound icing out of a tub, I doubt I'll be alive by 90. But what you need to know is that right now I'm actually 39 and that I'm less than 10 days, and by the way I feel, maybe even less than 10 fucking hours, away from giving birth for the second time to my second son. Which has got me thinking about the first time I gave birth. And so I dug up my incredibly long, detailed, maybe boring, except to five other mums out there, story of that birth. And lucky you, I'm going to tell you about it. Hot Vomit, a Ferrochrome podcast. I got pregnant for the first time at the age of 35. I had a pretty good pregnancy. I threw up a lot, which sucked for a long time. But by all other measures, it went very well. I was pretty excited throughout it. Until the last few weeks when my blood pressure decided to reach for the stars and land somewhere on the moon. And I think my blood pressure started getting jiggy with it right around the time when I realized that my excitement from just thinking about holding a baby, loving a baby, witnessing a baby grow, were kind of formed from images from Gerber commercials, Tim Hortons commercials, AT&T commercials, and good-looking mamas eating yogurt commercials. Wait a second. I have no experience with newborns and babies. I have no idea what my moments are going to look like. And I'd feel a terror akin to when I was 10 at a sleepover watching It, the Stephen King movie for the first time. Total horror. The bottom of my belly gave way to a dark, dark, scary place full of newfound anxiety. I did not know what I was doing. But then pregnancy hormones would sweep in and I'd think, well, who knows? Maybe I will have a Gerber commercial baby. Scared looking, smiley face, shoulder sheepish shrug emoji. Yep, maybe I will have a Gerber baby. The closer I got to my due date, the more ludicrous this seemed, and I felt my profound excitement merge onto a 12-lane freeway of bewilderment. It didn't help that the bigger I got, the bigger the horror stories about birth I received. From well-meaning colleagues, commuters, strangers in lineups, one person said, My sister is shaped exactly like you, and after three days of horrible labor, they had to rip the baby from her. Thank you, I replied, smiling. I mean, what do you say to that? I finished my full-time job at 36 weeks and went on maternity leave. And those four weeks before the baby came were pretty glorious. I got busy setting up our tiny apartment while listening to ACDC's Thunderstruck and Beethoven's Symphony No. 7. I napped, I cooked enough food for the two of us for a month, and Craigslist shopped like I was born to do it. I also loved listening to podcasts, and I so wish that Mark Marin, Amy Schumer, and Lena Dunham were all pregnant at the same time as me and had a podcast about it. I also talked a lot to the baby as I did all these things, until I passed my due date. Then I became quiet. Each day I was overdue, I read Ina Mae Gaskin like the 1970s would save me. 
I read Birthing From Within and drew all the exercises in the sketchbook. Huge, sweeping, second-grade-level HB pencil sketches of waves and trees and flowers opening. And a masked doctor cutting my vagina open with one hand while holding a pair of extra-large forceps in the other while I'm strapped to a bed. One of the exercises, you were instructed to draw your worst fear and then imagine it happening. It was supposed to take some of the charge away from it. And you know, it kind of worked because I did end up sort of strapped to a bed with masked doctors around me and even the thought of being cut open or forceps didn't even occur to me at the time. So the previous four weeks were a gift. The start of the fifth week was not. I was 41 weeks pregnant and counting and due to my blood pressure, every day was marked by a doctor's appointment, hospital visit or test. Non-stress tests, ultrasounds for amniotic fluid measurement, fetal monitoring, blood and urine, blood pressure, and blood and urine again. After our second last prenatal group meetup, they couldn't ignore my blood pressure anymore and sent me to the hospital. There I was hooked up to fetal monitoring for three hours, becoming more cognizant as the time went by that I was no longer a free agent, more like a quasi-non-free agent caught in and at the mercy of the structure of the hospital. A midwife and a nurse would come in to check the fetal monitoring and at first tell me, oh, you'll be going home in less than 20 minutes. And then they would come in and not say anything but smile. And then finally the midwife came in and sat on the corner of the bed and asked me if I knew what induction meant. I was very large and had a hard time maneuvering myself, so my back was cramped from sitting in the same position for hours to keep the monitor from falling off. I was so hot. I sat there shirtless. One of the nurses kept asking me if I wanted a gown or a blanket to cover up. And I said, Christ, no. I was dripping with sweat. After a while, I realized she might have been uncomfortable with me being topless and wanted me to wear a gown or cover up. But I was too hot to care. When I finally was allowed to go pee, I had soaked through two of the three pillows supporting me. Turns out, though, the fetal monitoring was excellent. Our little guy was fine. My blood pressure came down from 145 over 92 to about 120 over 75 and stayed right around there for the three hours. But some protein turned up in my urine. But it didn't seem like an emergency. So I steeled my guts and then like a new colt being born, clumsily advocated for myself, falling over my words but still standing right back up determined. I asked for a doctor's opinion and said that if the risks are low, I'd much prefer to go into labor naturally. That a good night's sleep in my own bed would likely help me way more than an induction. I had butterflies because I felt like I was being a nuisance. It was past midnight. One of the nurses said, well, if you let us induce you, then you just get it over with. It seemed like a good time for the hospital for me to go into labor, but it wasn't a good time for me. I had no coat, no change of clothes, and in my purse was an Apple, a dying cell phone, and one used Kleenex. If I could help it at all, I was going to go home. I had read Ina Mae Gaskin's account of what happens when induced, and I didn't want such a harsh start for the little guy or for me. While waiting for the doctor to come to determine my labor fate, Jay and I started naming all the U2 songs we could think of. And then I texted them to my friend Tara, and for some reason this made us all laugh so hard. And I swear it was that laughter that gave me my ticket home, because I was quite relaxed by the time the doctor arrived. She was busy, no-nonsense, fit, and had funky blue glasses. She swished the curtain back, 
asked me a list of questions, tapped a small rubber mallet against my knees and elbow, checked my eyes, pulsed, looked at the hours of stellar fetal monitoring, and asked me how I was feeling. I took a deep breath and said, I feel ready to go home for a good night's sleep. She nodded. She asked if I had any burning pain high up on my right side. No. Any blurred vision? No. Any flashing lights or stars in my vision? No. She got up, told me I could leave, but that I had to come back to the hospital tomorrow for more tests. I felt like I had outran a madman, me and my uterus so happy for our narrow escape. When I returned to the hospital, I knew my luck was running out for warding off a well-meant induction. It was Friday, June 13th, a gorgeous sunny day, and I texted our doula that it would be way better for me and the baby to just be lying on a beach watching the ocean right now, rather than hooked up to all these machines. And although I didn't get to the ocean, the machines were on my side. Baby's heart was steady and strong. There was enough fluid in my uterus for him. My blood pressure was high normal, and while my placenta was considered old, it was still feeding him. And although soon-to-be Mama Me was now driving an 18-wheeler on her internal bewilderment freeway, I was medically sound. There would be no induction. But there would be a cervical membrane sweep. I have to interject here to say that the hospital staff were personable, affable, even affectionate. Alongside the trepidation I felt, I felt like a warm light for each one of them. Being kind to me in one of my soon-to-be very many vulnerable moments of need. And Kieran, another doctor with funky glasses and a terrific sense of humor, was a beacon of a human being. Competent, professional, confident, kick-ass. She burned with brightness and compassion. You felt better about yourself, about life, about everything around her. That is, until she performed the cervical membrane sweep. Then I wanted to rip my own face off with my stubby fingernails. So, the cervical membrane sweep, nature's induction. This is when the doctor inserts one or two or more, depending, fingers into the opening of your cervix, stretching it hard, and then quickly sweeping around the amniotic sac containing your wee human miracle to try and dislodge said sac from the uterus wall and get it moving against your cervix to put pressure on the usually microscopic cervical opening to eventually yawn itself open 10 centimeters in diameter. Did I say yawn? I meant yowl. Definitely yowl. No baby is born vaginally without this yowl. To say a cervical membrane sweep hurts is to say that your retinas may blink a little when directly looking at a solar eclipse. Blink and then poof, blind. At first it feels like you are undergoing a routine pap test and then poof, the pain is instant and it is intense. It is full of pressure. It is an unknown coming to life in the form of a space mobile doing donuts around a planet you had no idea existed inside of you. It is the moon and sun getting too close together. It is latex fingers with the strength of a spinach Popeye stretching a hard, taut slit of an opening and prying it open against its own will. It is a sucker punch under your chin, hard enough for your head to knock back. It is a forced space where there was no space before. It is the rest of your body jerking against something happening internally that doesn't seem to be mandatory, yet here you are hosting a Deep Space Nine explorer with its tire treads burrowing into an unknown space for discovery purposes. Your body is now at the mercy of science, of doctors, of a hospital waiver you signed. 
You have foreign latexed fingers stretching a planet open deep inside of you, and you are not to implode. Your moon and sun collide, and you are not to implode. Your sense of confidence in your ability to deal with contractions has imploded, but you are not to implode. The doctor says, let's just see how many fingers we can fit in here. Here, this slit, this crack, this pin-like opening. Oh, looky, we've got two in. You think you will pass out. You feel like you've already passed out. But can you be passed out and still feel this much pressure and pain? Then you surprise yourself when you say, out, 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 loudly at the kind doctor's face. Then she is showing you the mucus and blood she gathered from inside of you, cheerily telling you, good job, mom, look at all this gunk we got. Your husband, in a desperate attempt to normalize the tableau of his wife prostate on a table, 41 weeks pregnant, panting like a very sick yet ferocious tiger, says something like, so no more mucus plug? And the doctor with her amazingly quick wit says, nah, the mucus plug is an asshole. It grows back. This flippant comment turns his wife from bewildered tiger back to a very pregnant human. She will laugh about this zinger for hours. Turns out... The mucus plug is an asshole. The doctor trying to inspire my confidence tells me that a cervical membrane sweep is more painful than a contraction and what a champ I am for enduring it. She says she's impressed with how well I did. I am momentarily proud of myself. This moment soon evaporates when roughly eight hours later, I actually have a full-on contraction and realize that even the best of doctors can be liars. On our way out of the hospital, Jay picks us up six Tim Horton donuts in a box, a big treat for making it through so many appointments that week, and I placed it delicately on my lap for the car ride home. I should have known something was up when I didn't want any of them, but instead, I forged on in my fantasy that I wasn't entering labor and asked if Jay would take me to see a funny movie that night. Anything you want, he said. First, I thought, I just have to rest. Feels like I'm getting my period. Our doula had warned me that a cervical membrane sweep can mimic the feeling of going into labor, but that I likely would not. When I got home, I got out my knitting, flipped open the iPad, put on a comedy, and rocked back and forth on the carpet, half watching it, half knitting, half wondering, with each wave of the period cramp, is this it? I had heard contractions can feel like strong menstrual cramps. I started timing them, roughly every 20 minutes or so. Hmm... Jay took a well-earned nap in the rocking chair, and I decided not to wake him. He told me, you should really try and sleep too, but I got a bit cocky thinking, if this is it, I can do this. I'll wake him when the baby is closer to being here. I'm a pregnant saint. I must have a high-paying threshold. Look at me, in labor and still knitting. A champ I am. I'm going to get a t-shirt made saying, I did the cervical membrane sweep. I also thought, how cool would it be to give birth on Friday the 13th with a full moon on a gorgeous summer day? This was roughly 5 p.m. in the afternoon. By 11 p.m. that night, I didn't give a shit what day, date, or time this kid was born. I tossed my halo out the window and started yowling. I would grip the side of our queen-size bed yelping, Ow! 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 With my feet running on the spot, trying to run my way out of the pain. Then, when the arresting vice grip of a menstrual pain turned stabbing with Freddy Krueger's fingernails was over, I'd run to the bathroom and have loose bowels. For a good three hours, I would essentially be running around our apartment every 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. 
and then go shit myself. Probably needless to say, but there would be no comedy movie. There'd be no more knitting. There'd be no more Netflix or donuts. There'd be no more thoughtfully swaying back and forth to all the music I painstakingly chose for our birthing playlist. There'd be no more soup making. There'd be no more thoughts of maybe deep down I'm actually a hippie earth mama who can do this thing on her own. No. I just couldn't believe pre-labor contractions could hurt that much. But on the plus side, early labor is an amazing enema. Hot Vomit, a Ferrochrome podcast.